welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brown. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I see what you did there. (laughs) We're just having too much fun with this. And our show is created on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase, Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumlips-Te territory within the unceded traditional lands of Swet'makulu. As settlers, we take seriously our responsibility to center and to uplift Indigenous creatives and to work to build a more inclusive YA environment for all marginalized folks. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, well, that doesn't necessarily apply greatly to today's film, Body and Bones. I did want to touch on the fact that there is a relationship to the land and the environment Mm -hmm. that was reminiscent to me of some of the more Indigenous-oriented texts that we've talked about. I think so, too. It's a very traditional Atlantic Canadian story, and particularly a very traditional Newfoundland story in Mm -hmm. its connection to the land and the ways in which the land circumscribes one's choices and options. Mm -hmm. But also, if we're talking about marginalization in YA, I know I bring up class all the time, but this is a story about poor people that we don't usually (laughs) see. (laughs) Yeah, and I appreciated the fact that it's not poor people who are absolutely destitute, but just poor people where the lack of funds or opportunities really circumscribes the kinds of life decisions that they can make. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a working class community where a lot of the work has dried up. What does that look like if you're a young person (laughs) trying to come of age and realize opportunity in that moment? It's not good. No. And folks, particularly for our non-Canadian listeners, there is an important distinction to be made in regional cinema within Canada. So a lot of people don't have a great idea of the scope and the vastness of the country. It's quite Mm -hmm. large. (laughs) Second largest in the world. That's big. Yeah. And particularly East Coast or maritime cinema, which takes place in Nova Scotia, PEI, New Brunswick, or in this case, Newfoundland and Labrador. These are territories that are driven by obviously geographical restrictions, like they are on the coast, they are next to the ocean. A lot of the time they are natural resource driven, but they are also what we consider to be have not provinces. So Mm -hmm. they routinely get handouts from the government to compensate for or seasonal work. These stories often deal with people who are trying to escape the situations and come to the quote-unquote big city, which is sometimes Montreal, sometimes Toronto, but sometimes in this case, it's St. John's, Mm -hmm. which I love the idea that she's going to leave this crappy town and move to the city. And I was like, oh, St. John's. Okay. (laughs) It is a city. I'm not denying that, but (laughs) I guess it is the city in Newfoundland. Sometimes, Joe, that you were raised in Calgary is really on your sleeve. (laughs) Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) I would like respect for the fact that I didn't call anyone in this movie a newfie. Oh, God, Joe. So I want to just make a couple of tweaks to what Joe said. (laughs) Clarification. First is that it's the Maritimes if it's Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, and PEI. It's Atlantic Canada when it includes... Newfoundland and Labrador. Okay, okay, Uh okay. And I think instead of handouts, I would use transfer payment as the phrase that I would choose to use. (laughs) 
about how, as a federation, we organize finances for places that are experiencing economic hardship. But I will say, you know, you can really see the struggle and the lack of opportunity in this film for sure. But also, as someone who spent nine years in Vancouver, I was also like, everyone in this movie owns a house. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, there's, there's absolutely certain reasons to live in different parts of the country. And the sad reality is that as somebody who currently lives in a Hab province, mm. Ontario, that means that I could literally never afford to own a house. I was going to say, it means that you don't get to have anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Canada is a really interesting patchwork of different regional differences and economic systems Mm -hmm. and struggles and particularly as a country that has always based its wealth on resource extraction yes we see regularly how sometimes natural cycles like some of what happened with the fishery was natural cycles and some was overfishing from foreign trawlers Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's things like climate change i'm looking at you alberta you know When you have a country that is so rooted in a particularly extractive relationship to the land, it's just interesting what that does to the stories that are set in those places that are kind of most like on their sleeve impacted by those things. Yes, absolutely. And one of the other fascinating things to me is that there isn't a strong, I mean, we could go on and on and on about the lack of a Canadian identity, like what does it mean to be Canadian in the face of regional differences. Mm -hmm. But I find that there's actually not a lot of sympathy between regional Mm -hmm. or geographic areas. So Mm -hmm. I imagine that as a film like Body and Bones gets a wider release, so this is relatively new on VOD, it came out on October 16th, I imagine that there's going to be even audiences within Canada who will look at this film and not connect or sympathize with Mm. the challenges and the difficulties that these characters are simply existing through because Mm -hmm. it's just not reminiscent of their own lived experiences. Yeah, I agree with you. I also do think, though, that there's another divide that happens in this country between the rural and the suburban urban. Like, 100%. I think that this is, it's obviously a Newfoundland story, Mm -hmm. certainly, but it is also a story that I think will connect with people who were raised in rural environments. The sense of needing to get out before you can figure out who you are, Mm -hmm. that's really palpable for sort of that small town experience that I related to when I watched this for sure. Yeah, and I grew up in a city and I was just kind of like... Uh, you want to run away to the like it's not that great you're not gonna have a fantastic experience all this to say we have gotten ahead of ourselves yes, so this is a mini-sode so before we really dig into body and bones further brenna do you have any homework that you would like to share with our listeners oh my god joe i didn't tell you this before because i wanted to save it for air because i was excited for your reaction okay i'll suck in a big gasp of air right now okay go for it <laughs> i watched a movie why on saturday night what? That was a horror movie. Oh, okay. Now I'm genuinely perplexed. <laughs> so ev- my husband really likes scary movies. So every October, my concession is that when we have our, we're trying to do it every Saturday night, watch a movie together. Okay. Doesn't always happen, but we're trying. And sure. so in October, I let him pick horror movies. So okay. last week we watched, it wasn't a YA, but last week we watched um that one, The Quiet Place, which I really liked. Okay. Yeah, but, yeah. On Saturday night, we watched Let Me In. Oh. 
Okay, interesting. Yeah. Um, so I originally had this on the docket for us to cover. We were going to do the original Swedish version. I remember. Yeah. And then I took it off because you just protest so much. <laughs> and then I was going to do Goosebumps, and then you protested too much. And that's how we ended up settling on last week's episode, The Body. <laughs> just not even horror. <laughs> I know. I'm the worst. But I actually really, uh, I won't say I enjoyed it. Oh, it's a hard, hard, hard film to enjoy in that capacity, but it's well done. Yeah, it is. And I liked uh, I liked the little girl and the little boy. I thought they were both really good. And I just had to turn away every time she made vampire face. I'd be like, is she going to make vampire face? And Devin would be like, yep. And I would just turn away until she was done. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need that in my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> I unabashedly love the original. I'm fond of the new one, but the CGI is super janky in a couple of places. When she's attacking in the shadows, I found yeah. it very janky, which is weird because like how hard would that, you don't have any details to, but it was like the movement of her body was very strange mm -hmm. in those oh. shots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Made by computers. <laughs> yeah. It's just really sad for me because I think that movie is so well executed. And you're right. The two performances are so great mm -hmm. in the leads. It could be so effective. But then the bad CGI undermines the scariness. And as a result, to me, it almost became laughable in parts yeah. as a result. The part that I didn't like was the the older brother of the bully. And Dev was telling me that that doesn't exist in the... Yeah, original. that's a new character. And I just didn't find it believable, like, that the older brother who bullies the bully would then turn around and want to kill the main character. That didn't make any sense to me. And I was like, mm -hmm. what's happening? And then also, I just don't like watching bullying scenes, so I, I didn't enjoy those bits. But yeah. But yeah, no, I was, uh, I was proud of me. I watched the whole thing. Okay. Except for all the parts that I turned away from. Good for you. <laughs> That's exciting. Yeah. Thought I'd share. All right. Okay. Well, I also have some homework updates, and I'm not going to tip my hand too, too much because I'm going to encourage people to give it a listen. Ooh. But I did guest on a forthcoming episode of the Seventh Row podcast. So our friend Ooh. Alex Heaney. Friend of the show. Yeah, she has mm -hmm. come on a couple of times to talk about the Hunger Games with us. Mm -hmm. And of course, she gave us a quick update about a Canadian YA book that they had published. Mm -hmm. And she asked me to come on and talk about Indigenous YA films with her. Nice. So I finally got the opportunity to check out Jeff Barnaby's Rhymes for Young Ghouls. And oh, it's so good. Other texts. Yeah. So we had a really great, it's like a two-hour conversation. So I'm going to encourage people to, obviously, you should be listening to The Seventh Row mm -hmm. in general, but also keep a ear and eye out for that episode when it drops. I think it should be coming out fairly soon. Oh, nice. I'm excited for that one. Yeah. It was a really, really interesting conversation. We got to tackle a lot of just great films. And mm -hmm. then we got to go into some political angles because, of course, uh, some of them were directed by settlers in consultation with the indigenous communities that they were filming in. Some of them had very commercial aspirations that we felt undermined the effectiveness of the text. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, we also had to address the fact that we were four white people talking about indigenous films. Mm -hmm. So it's a good listen, folks. Nice. I'm going to yeah. listen to that. Cool. Okay. So right. let us talk about this movie. Do you like it? Being a hairdresser? No, your life. Tess, you mind staying back for a minute? If you miss many more, you're not going to be able to graduate. I know it's been a really hard year. 
So you're gonna live in Danny Sheriff's house? Yeah. Danny? Who the fuck are you? I'm Tess. Well, hello, Tess. What's all the news around these farts these days? You? Mostly. <laughs> Is it good news or bad? You don't know anything about him. If he's here, he's looking for something. I just going for a walk. I heard you. Going for a walk in a little short skirt. Everyone knows you're here with him. I came here to check on you because I was worried about you. I can take care of myself. I ain't gonna take no good girl. He's a good person, you know. You know that he broke his mother's nose once. Did he tell you that one? He was a kid when he did that. Like you were. Pretty used to your company too. So this is Body and Bones. It was filmed last year and it's only now coming out on VOD. Mm-hmm. As we mentioned, it's from Newfoundland. It was written and directed by Melanie Oates. This is her feature film debut, although she has done quite a few shorts. Mm-hmm. And Brenna, you were very excited because among the cast members is someone that we just recently talked about, Joel Thomas Hines. Yes. He was in Trickster. He's the drug dealer and the super creepy dude. He's just a really good super creepy dude. Apparently so. Yeah, because <laughs> he's awful in this he's movie. <laughs> very awful in this movie. But I think I mentioned this in Trickster, but he's also a fantastic novelist. I recommend people pick up his books, especially if you do see and like Body and Bones, because that kind of almost Atlantic Gothic kind of vibe to the, the way the film is shot uh, mm-hmm. is sort of struck through in his writing, too. Yeah, so if folks haven't seen this film, we mildly spoiled some of it. Sorry. Not really. (laughs) It more or less concerns this main protagonist, Tess Small. She is played by Kelly Vandenberg. I think she's really good, by the way. She's really good. I did text you that she was giving me mega Sarah Polly vibes. Yes. And I wasn't sure if it was just the hair or the face or, uh, I don't know. It's a very almost interior-minded performance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, the entire film rests on how invested you become in Tess's series of bad decisions. Yeah, no, she makes bad, bad choices just consistently. Yeah, so this film basically is about her. She is recovering and dealing with residual grief as a result of her mother's death by suicide. Mm -hmm. She has inherited the house. So she is basically a 17-year-old living in a house, unable to process her own grief or the absence of her mother. Her mother's boyfriend is still living there, but he's got a new girlfriend, so he wants them to move in with the girlfriend, which is how the film opens. He's sort of looking after her. Like, there's a level at which he's he's the only adult who well he is the only adult who cares for her right but it's this sort of stilted relationship because well he's dead mom's boyfriend so Mm -hmm. it's kind of weird and he has a new girlfriend (laughs) yeah like you can sense that he doesn't want to just do a clean break and leave her behind because he still feels something for her but Mm -hmm. also has literally no connection to her anymore you get the sense that he is trying to be a good guy but that he doesn't feel, yeah, you're right, he doesn't feel any sort of emotional obligation to her. He just feels like the right thing to do is to vaguely stick around. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he does try to rescue her at one point. Yeah, that's true. He, he's actually quite a nice guy. It's mm-hmm. just that... It's just a weird situation. It's a weird situation. And into this weird situation comes 
singer-songwriter Danny Sharp, who is played by Joel Thomas Hines, and he ends up crashing with Tess because she is enamored with his music. Like, mm-hmm. his music has been getting her through this difficult time, and she becomes fixated on him. We should say he left home 20 years ago, so he's much, 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 much older and much, 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 much more experienced in the world than she is. Yeah, I actually debated whether or not we should issue a content warning at the start Mm. of this conversation. And I don't think that there's anything particularly traumatic about the film. Well, there is a somewhat graphic abortion scene that's, I think, very well done. Mm -hmm. But I think more so, this is just a deeply uncomfortable, slightly icky film in the way that it's an underage girl who falls in love with a man who is easily twice her age. I think there's something about... The way the film is made, and this has a lot to do with Kelly Vanderberg's performance, Mm -hmm. she's in a bad situation. Yes. She's making terrible decisions. Absolutely. She's in love with a man who clearly does not love her. Oh, no. No, But I never felt like she was being manipulated. Like, I didn't feel like she was... I felt like she always had her agency. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, she had the agency to make really bad, frustrating decisions. (laughs) Yeah. I was shocked to consider that this is the first text that we've dealt with that I don't know if we want to call it statutory rape. We don't know exactly how old she is, but we know that she's finishing up her high school, her final year of high school. So Mm -hmm. presumably she's still underage. Mm -hmm. This is the kind of first May-December relationship that we've encountered (laughs) on the podcast. And I was really fascinated by the way that Tess doesn't feel like a victim in her relationship with Danny, even though it is obviously incredibly inappropriate and characters repeatedly tell her so jerry that is her dead mother's boyfriend he Mm -hmm. tells her tries Mm -hmm. to rescue her she also has a friend who comes and just is like flat out disgusted to see that there's a suggested romance happening between tess and danny even danny's mother is like this is a bad idea (laughs) yeah absolutely 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 and i liked that There was never an element of sensationalism, so it wasn't like, oh my god, this is scandalous, this is going to end up printed in the paper or something. It's just very much, here is a girl who is making bad decisions that don't benefit her or her mental health because she has not processed the loss of her mother. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what this film is. And he's less, I don't want to take anything away from how skeevy and gross he is, because he is Mm. both of those things, but I don't read him as a predator. No. And I think that makes a huge difference in how the film made me feel, which was uncomfortable and worried, but not like I was watching a victimization happen. Yeah, this doesn't feel like a movie of the week. It doesn't feel like an episode of SVU. This isn't sex crimes, you know, Atlantic Canada version. No. And, you know, she often professes that she doesn't know what to do, but she always ultimately makes a decision for herself. Like Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about there's a very powerful scene, uh, Tess becomes pregnant, and there's a very powerful scene where she starts off thinking that if she tells Danny, then he's gonna want to be a family. Mm -hmm. And very quickly, that turns into a confrontation instead. And it's an incredibly powerful scene. Oh, it's the standout moment of the film in my eyes. Yes. And she's emotionally gutted by what happens in that scene. And then she dusts herself off. And she Mm -hmm. takes herself to the hospital and she has an abortion. And it's like, oh, this young woman makes bad choices, but she actually is in complete control of her life. Yeah. 
And I like the fact, too, that the film doesn't end with her going back to her small town and getting her GED and really getting her life together. Like, this is a film of such quiet moments. Mm -hmm. There isn't huge arcs. There aren't loud confrontations. Like, this scene between her and Danny where she tells him about her pregnancy is the loudest that the film ever gets. Mm -hmm. And I think it makes the scene more effective because his response Mm -hmm. is so shocking. There's a moment where he moves towards her. Oh my god. I literally recoiled. Me too. Watching. Like, it is so so powerful. Oh, they're both so good in that scene. Mm -hmm. And you Mm -hmm. just hate him so much. And he's... I was saying to Joe before we started that my worry whenever we watch this kind of film is, and maybe it's because I so often see this story told by male filmmakers, Mm -hmm. there's a desire to redeem the guy who is in the wrong. The bad guy. guy. He's the bad guy. And there's always this desire to redeem it. And there's no attempt to redeem. In fact, what happens in that scene (laughs) in the bedroom is that really Tess wakes up in that scene, Mm -hmm. right? She realizes that this is all not good. (laughs) And and that's sort of how she pulls herself out of it. But I think until that scene happened, I was really holding my breath that the film was going to try to make him into a man who wants to be better. And he's not Mm -hmm. a man who wants to be better. He's a... He really is. (laughs) I also love that this is the final scene that we see of him. Yes. So as you said, it doesn't make attempts to redeem him. Like, it won't even allow him to apologize. No. Because that's not what's of interest here. This is Tess's story. Yes. And instead, what we see is Nick, who's a quote-unquote friend of Danny's. Danny's horrible to him. Mm -hmm. He's the one who picks her up at the hospital and drives her back to her car. And he's, he's very kind and gentle. And you sort of have this, like, what if he kind of moment. And then the film is like, no, 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 nope. Nope. (laughs) She's going back home. She has to put herself together. Because it's not a romance. It's not a romance. This took me a long time to come to grips with. I didn't know where the film was going to go when Mm -hmm. she follows Danny to the big city. Mm -hmm. And then I told you off air before we began that I liked most of this film, but it doesn't entirely work for me. And it's because the story is small and Mm -hmm. simple. Mm -hmm. And I'm recognizing now that I think that is the value of it. And maybe it's just that I wanted it to be bigger but that's Mm. not what it ever aspires to do no i mean tess is not going to live a big life Mm -hmm. and that's okay that's okay it's just that we're so accustomed to seeing big stories right like don't give me tess give me katniss everdeen well exactly and it's interesting too because i think actually the film is the film is pretty hard on big lives and big life stories right like danny went off to the mainland mm-hmm. to oh, yeah. become a recording artist and yeah, big success Look and he's been now. a big success and he's got all these albums out and now he tends bar and is terrible to everyone who cares about him oh yeah <laughs> like yeah, yeah. there is no reward in this film for going out and living that big incredible life tess's journey is just to figure out what's next which is kind of like that's what we're all doing right we're just figuring <laughs> so out what's next relatable. i know <laughs> Okay, well, you also wanted to talk about the abortion scene. I do, although I did text Joe and I was like, okay, we're done with abortion scenes now. (laughs) As far as I know, I believe we are done with abortion scenes for the rest of the year. For 2020. Yeah, 
It's been a rough year for our abortion movies. Please go back and check out Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, if you have not, because that's still one of the best films of the year. Yes, and much like Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, the abortion scene in this film is incredibly clear-eyed. It's incredibly honest. Mm -hmm. It's made my personal uterus try to climb up higher into my body just in defensive posture. There's nothing shocking about it. But there's nothing shocking about it. And one of the things that I really noticed is how careful the film is to present this as the best possible decision for Tess, first of all. Mm-hmm. Shades of Degrassi. Mm-hmm. And second of all, oh my goodness, there's two nurses and a doctor, these three women who perform the procedure. And the doctor is so calm and matter of fact and generous with Tess. The final thing she says to Tess is, okay, Tess, you're not pregnant anymore. And it's just extremely gently delivered with this smile of like, it's been taken care of. And this doesn't have to be something that you remember as a lifelong trauma. This can be the right decision for you. And the nurse. So throughout the film, one of the things that we recognize is that Tess is really physically isolated. Like after the loss of her mom, Jerry doesn't hug her. You never see her being touched affectionately, except by Danny, which you know is so bad and so wrong. And also the other creepy dude. Oh, yeah. And the other creepy dude. Oh, God. Yes. There's, there's, there's the high school boy. Her boy. Age, yeah. That yeah. she is having relations with, but like she looks disgusted by him every time they touch. Every time they touch, she looks. You can see her skin crawling on the screen. Mm. I also love that it's physically represented in these repeated shots that. Oates structures like the director Melanie Oates she she frames it so that we regularly see Tess just surrounded by open frankly gorgeous Newfoundland wilderness so yes it really just highlights the fact that she is by herself sort of yes. at the mercy of the elements regularly and yet in this scene where she's in the hospital this nurse is stroking her arm, Mm -hmm. is speaking softly and gently to her, is just being so loving. Those three women are just presented in such a loving way. I thought, like, this is actually really radical. This abortion is happening on screen as this moment of community between these four women who are taking care of a situation that needs to be resolved. And it's so... I don't know, so gentle. Gentle is the only word I can come up with for it. Um, Even as it's very realistic, they're describing the procedure in very realistic terms and Mm -hmm. physically it's uncomfortable. But there's this kindness in the three women that we haven't seen extended to Tess at any other point in the film that is very powerful. See, that is so fascinating to me. And this is why I think it's so valuable for you and I to have these conversations, because my read on this is that while the procedure is being performed, they're talking about these inane details of their life. And I was like, oh, see, I don't like this. These women aren't being thoughtful of her situation. They're treating this as an everyday occurrence. Like it's almost belittling of how impactful this abortion could be. So I'm so happy to hear this other perspective from you, which really recontextualizes the scene in my eyes. I'm really interested that you read it that way. And I can totally see it because they are. They're talking about like the utter banalities of their lives, oh, yeah. right? <laughs> Just like, what did you do this weekend? Oh my God, I slept like a pretzel. My head was over. Like, but, <laughs> but that discourse doesn't actually begin until she's taken the laughing gas. This is true. So yes. it's not until she's sort of left the room and we see that represented as this very arty we frequently see Tess submersing herself in water in her mm-hmm. inner imaginary. And that's happening in when she's going through the abortion as well. And so 
when she needs them to be present, they're present. And when she's distant, we do get, I kind of love that sense of like, yeah, we do abortions. That's what we do. That's our job. This is our job. This is not the spectacular event for us. This is just what we do day in and day out. Yeah. I will say too, I really appreciated that water imagery. I know that it's a little Freudian 101, like people using water as a rebirth mechanism. The film opens and closes with her in the bath. But I found it super effective. And it it mm-hmm. felt very par for the course for this film. Like, it was just well done. It's shot in a place I think called Witless Bay, the outport scenes anyway. And she's always being like windswept by the ocean. Oh, yeah. Even when there's no water in the scene, you can see like this wind and wilderness that like evokes this sense of being a coastal person and Mm -hmm. and what that means to how your life is structured around the weather. You don't really realize it because like it's the early 21st century. But when you go to Newfoundland, we went in 2012, I guess. And even in 2012, we were taking the ferry and like... It was not safe for the ferry to dock because it was too choppy. And so the yeah. ferry just circled for like four hours Ooh. before we docked. And you think about how that impacts shipping and access to fresh foodstuffs and like mm-hmm. all kinds of things that when you don't live on an island, you never have to think about. Well, and even as you mentioned earlier, that sense of isolation, right? Like she is Mm -hmm. obviously isolated from humans and the small town that she is in is isolated compared to the density of the bigger city. But also I think this idea that she is literally isolated by virtue of being on an island. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I really like this idea that there's multiple levels to the way that she can't connect with other people. And the final image, spoilers for folks. Hmm. I don't know that you can spoil this movie because really part of it is just living with Tess. Mm -hmm. But I like that the end scene is her finding intimacy in a really enclosed, warm environment Mm -hmm. when she climbs under the sheets of her mother's bed. Yeah. Like she's finally coming to grips with what she has lost. And it's private and intimate and brief. It's not stretched out and made meaningful. It's just, this is what she needs to do right now. Agreed. I think the film in general is very restrained in how long it gives oh, you yes. with any one of the beats. And you can, yeah. like Melanie Oates is clearly very gifted in the way she constructs these small, quiet moments to have mm-hmm. maximum resonance. I couldn't help but wonder if that was by virtue of her experience making short. She mm. knows how to tell short stories well. And mm-hmm. this is like a collection of short stories that add up to something more meaningful. But at times it almost feels like a collection. Mm, I like that. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed this one, Joe. I really did. Yeah, it was a pleasant surprise. I didn't really know what to expect, but I saw that there was an opportunity to watch, you know, we haven't really covered a a Canadian text from the East Coast before. Mm -hmm. So I was like, let's do this and hopefully it'll be good. Yay. It was. I think it's worth watching. If for nothing else, then I think you should get in on Kelly Vanderberg while she's young and unknown because that was an incredible performance i thought it's a great performance Mm -hmm. and also i'm gonna circle back because i realized that we did do anne of green cable so obviously we have done (laughs) once every hundred years we'll cover an atlantic canadian text there we go (laughs) that's a deal i can get on board with So if you want to chat with us about Atlantic Canadian cinema, 
no abortions. Uh, you can find us at <laughs> hashtag HKHSPod on the Twitters. Joe, where do they find you? I am at B Stole My Remote, and that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray, that's Gray with an A. And for anything more long form, especially ideas for minisodes, you can send them to HKHSPod at gmail.com. And Joe, mm-hmm. I know what our next full length text is. Okay. Because I've already finished reading it. Oh my gosh, okay, I haven't even started, but you go on. <laughs> Princess Diaries! Yes, the time has come. <laughs> I can't help but I'm very excited. The book is very different than I remember the film being, but I haven't watched the film in probably 10 years, so... Mm, okay, I feel like I've seen clips of this. Mm. Like, I obviously know that it's Anne Hathaway and Julie <laughs> Andrews, and I'm very excited to see them. I don't have any other experiences beyond this. It's going to be fun for you, Joe. It really is. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. It's something light and escapist. Yeah, and the book is snarkier than I expected it to be based on the film, so I enjoyed it very much. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, the week after that, we're heading into the last couple of months of the year, so we're going to be doing our November-December forecast. It's the last one for 2020. Last one for 2020. Good. Let's put a lid on this year. (laughs) yes but also (laughs) let's stop pretending like when the calendar turns to 2021 things are going to be different no it's going to be perfect shut up (laughs) (laughs) and also just as we continue to head into this i did want to acknowledge that we have had a couple of listeners ask us to cover the netflix series julie and the phantoms so we do have that on the docket but we have to get through that forecast episode and then it's actually our second anniversary episode oh my gosh so the minisodes are actually pretty booked up, but we promise we will get to Julie and the Phantoms in early December. So if you've been enjoying that, or if you haven't checked out the Kenny Ortega fantasy dance musical TV show, you've got some time. So excited. So excited. <laughs> I'm actually quite enjoying it. I'm slowly pacing myself through the episodes. Nice. Okay. Well, uh, with all that, uh, you've got your homework. And until next time, I will see you on the page. Yes, and I will see you on the screen. Take care of yourselves, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.